What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And it's Sean. And we are back. 27 times back, 27 days since the last time you heard these velvety vocal cords stimulating your ear canal. We are back. We are happy. Uh, minus what's going on in the Middle East. We have a lot to talk about, dude. Yeah, like, a lot. A lot of current events. I feel like if, if you got over everything that happened at the Olympics, we should just rehash it. I mean, why not? Uh, Afghanistan is a hot topic. I don't know whether we should start there or end there. I don't think we should end there because it didn't end well there in mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. So that would be a that would be a bad precedent to set. Started better than it finished. Yeah, but we are brought to you guys by Ten Thousand. Use the code Chronos for fifteen for fifteen percent off. Uh, they have been supporting us now for their, probably the last year or so. Very excited to see some of their new upcoming products that they have coming out that we've been working on with them. Uh, so make sure you give them a follow um, for thanking them for our, for supporting us. Yeah, uh, really appreciative of everything 10,000 has been doing um, and you know reaching out with us. And I love working out on their shit. Uh, the the shorts are, are really comfortable for running. Uh but their their shorts for basic CrossFit and lifting are are phenomenal. Even in my thin state, my lean state, my legs look super jacked. So couldn't be happier. Yeah, I'm wearing their uh, the tactical shorts right now. My favorite pair of shorts I have uh, for any workout activities. Well, we said we were going to talk about it, but Afghanistan. I thought we were saying for the last. Oh, we're saving that for the last. Just kidding. Not Afghanistan. You're going to have to fast forward. Whatever. We can we can start off with Afghanistan then. Um, in other news, we have since pulled Afghanistan if nobody else was tracking. Yeah, I feel like that happened all last week, but I've, it was way longer than that. I I feel like pretty hollowed out by the the news cycle from earlier this week to now, I was really angered when I first saw it. Then I got kind of upset about it. I feel like I went through the whole range of negative emotions watching the events unfold at Kabul. And obviously, we speak in such an extreme narrative now, but everyone was always saying this is the worst thing that's ever happened in Afghanistan. This is the worst uh, withdrawal any force has ever had out of a war zone, comparing it to Saigon uh, in Vietnam, comparing it to the Russians. And I I think while it's awful and it's tragic, I don't think it's quite the worst of the worst. I just think we have so much media that surrounds everything. But I was really upset and I still am really super upset by everything that's going on for how many times we've been there and worked with some great Afghans. Um, to see the way it's kind of unfolded, I think, is the worst uh, and I don't think, and I'll, I'll finalize on this, you can lay it all on the feet of uh, President Biden. He takes a ton of the blame, but I don't know of any president that probably would have handled that correctly. Um, definitely incorrectly was what we've seen, and it could not have gone worse. But I think whether President Trump was in office or President anyone else, it still would have been a complete nightmare. I mean, I kind of have like a, I guess, a hot take on things. And, you know, I think it is quite a shame. But at the same time, though, we knew this day was going to come sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. And we knew this was probably what was going to happen when we left sooner rather than later. 
Um, so it's not really surprising that, you know, the Taliban have surged and are now retaking everything over. You know, all the million, billions and trillions of dollars we spent investing in the ANA and the ANDA, or ANSF and all the other, you know, Afghan security forces, you know, have just proved not, and, and Biden even said so, like, you know, we spent all this effort to train up the local security forces and they, they didn't step up. They just straight up were just like, all right, well, America is no longer here. We're just going to join the Taliban. Right. And what I don't see the news networks focusing on quite as much because they have this round table of experts that they constantly engage for comments. And it's all of the former CENTCOM commanders. It's all of these former stars upon stars upon stars of the military world that now say, oh, the writing was on the wall. We want to go back and say, hey, when you were the commander over there, all you did was act like a politician saying how great the Afghan fighters were. And then you would prop up these joint patrols that both conventional and soft units went on when, in fact, it was always American-led. It's never been an Afghan-led mission, even when they have 51% of the folks on the ground. It's always American-led. It's always American squad leaders out front. It's always us dictating the pace. And then the Afghan soldiers are kind of just thrown in the middle and they're used as you know, uh, a metric for the bean counters out there to say, oh, no. The Afghans are in the lead. So I I honestly blame a ton of this on the generals not being strong enough to say out loud what everyone at the company and below knew was that the Afghan military was not comfortable taking the lead. They didn't have the resources aside from the ones that we gave them to go out and continue sustained operations. And the general should be held accountable for the words that they presented to the public going back to 2008, 2009, and then the last decade plus of, oh, no, we've transitioned, we're advising, they're doing operations completely fine, because obviously that wasn't the case if the minute we pull out, they collapse. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, I think it is a kind of political way of viewing kind of the, you know, the war in Afghanistan, ended up being a political decision by the Biden administration just to pull it out and just to end it. And at the same time, though, you know, we have to keep in mind that it's not really up to us as far as, you know, the guys on the ground there, as far as dictating policy. You know, I would say that, you know, everyone that I've, you know, met and we've all, you know, done great things overseas in Afghanistan and served to our fullest capacity. And I don't think that, you know, this invalidates all our efforts. The fact that it was all for, you know, all for naught. Right. As people say, and that, you know, we did some great, pretty cool things, some great things and, you know, did some, you know, things. Um, but I don't think that we should look on back on it in like a negative connotation. I think it should just be more of the fact that, you know, we served honorably. And then at the end of the day, it's something with Vietnam, the politicians let us down. Right. And, Everyone served to the greatest capacity possible in the situations that presented themselves. So it's nothing against the soldiers because you do what you're told and you do it to the best of your abilities. I'm just frustrated with the fact that so many senior leaders in the administration, both presently but going back with every other presidential administration prior to this, has constantly built up this narrative that Afghan was doing better than it really was. 
never taking the time to get down on the ground and ask platoon leaders. Company commanders maybe would have been almost politicians at that point because they're fighting for the top block. And we've talked about the OER process and mm-hmm. how much I dislike it, but fighting for that field grade. So it's once these people make field grade, their souls are completely ripped out of their body and their spines are replaced with one of those like foldy dog chew toys where you, you can just bend it and you know take it to the will of whatever beast is going to chomp on it. But why didn't we say anything or why was no comment made about individuals like General Milley who in the past have talked about how great the Afghan military is? Do, do you think that this is something that we should say, listen, you take accountability for when your platoon messes up at a TFT, when they mess up at a live fire, you're gone, whether you think it was your responsibility or not. Do you think individuals' heads should roll? Like we should get rid of the SecDef, uh, Commander Joint Chiefs, uh, Secretary of State. Those those individuals should be forced to resign or resign. I think that you know. I think that should be a. a so there should be something with a thought behind that. You know, I, at the end of the day, you know, the SecDef and all these political appointees are, you know, at the end of the day, like kind of where the buck stops. So, you know, if that is to make a political statement, but then at the same time, you have to like consider like going back to, you know, like 2008, 2009, when all, when Millie was like CENTCOM commander or whatever he was before he became George uh, Chiefs of Staff of how he was like propping up the Afghans too. And then how this kind of like uh, narrative has been going on for five, 10 years now that's been continuously promulgated by, you know, the senior military officials that are looking for a political point. Like, you know what I'm saying? Looking for a next right. political and are just yes, men. Um, and this goes back to the, that culture of, you know, political aspirations and general officers, looking to get to the next level rather than make the military better. It was 2013, 2014. We were riding by a bunch of these checkpoints down in Maywan. My battalion commander was on our patrol, and I was telling one of the other PLs on our net, don't go to that checkpoint. They're awful. Don't go to that checkpoint. It's never manned. And just giving him an honest assessment of, where you could not rely on the Afghan security forces that should have been propping up that that area and should have been securing the highway. And I remember I got scolded by the battalion commander because that's not the right message that we should be promulgating through the formation that will create uh, uh, an untrustworthiness of our Afghan peers. And it's saying that I should not accurately depict the situation on the ground for individuals that will follow on those patrols when I leave. That's it it's something that we did it, you know, at the battalion commander level was was already, you know, rife with issue. And I just can't imagine how much worse it would have been at a division or core level with saying how great the Afghans were. If I couldn't say these dudes were untrustworthy at a, you know, 2013, 2014 at the platoon level, imagine what they were saying behind closed doors with the generals. They must have been, you know, making these individuals look like, you know, the the next tier of, uh, you know, Ranger Regiment recruits. Yeah, I was at the, in my mind, I was thinking about like the behind the doors kind of conversations that are had and, you know, all the money and resources that were spent into training and outfitting the ANA and the ANSF makes me wonder like as far as 
you know, like uh, the military industrial complex, how much of that decision is driven by that aspect of like, uh, you know, the money side of things. There was an interesting bar graph I saw earlier in the week, and I wish I had it for reference that we could throw it in the link or something, but it essentially outlined those that have made the most money from the war in Afghanistan, the forever war, and it was your Boeing's I think it was like Raytheon. It's all these military contractors that made billions of dollars off of individuals serving, you know, in a foreign country. I think we've talked about the F-35 before. At one point, every state had something to do in its production and for why the cost of that ballooned into the billions of dollars for the Air Force and development and then outfitting, you know, all these squadrons uh, with the latest fighter. But for the platoon leaders out there and and for the individuals out there that are going through basic raids, I just don't know why anyone looked at this situation and went, okay, we have to get these individuals out of Afghanistan. You go and you set up a raid, you're going to set your security, your support, your assault force. And then when you withdraw, you just do it in the opposite order. Why did we say in this situation, no, 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 just take out security and support. Like, we're not going to have any assault force on the ground. And there's no one there left to maintain any sort of semblance of organizational control or tempo or anything. So whenever these contingencies come up, which President Biden said we are prepared for, it's like if the contingencies were set up, you wouldn't have to activate battalions to respond within four to 24 hours, getting out the door and flying back to Afghanistan at a higher troop level than we had when you withdrew you know, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of thing that, again, if you did that on an exeval, you would be skull dragged by your raider, senior raider for making such a blunder. But we allow that to happen now at the, the GO level and within the policy decisions made at the White House and State Department. There's, I think as a junior officer, I'd be really annoyed if I saw individuals that had made a career out of service not being disciplined and even publicly disciplined since it's almost quasi-political at that point for the same failures that you yourself would be relieved or at a minimum get an awful uh, evaluation in OER at the end of the cycle. Yeah, but you have to imagine that, you know, probably the the GO is probably, we're saying that this probably wasn't the best choice, but at the end of the day, you know, the commander-in-chief does and says, you got to do what the commander-in-chief does and says, you know. Right, but where are the... Where's the drama? And when I say where's the drama, where's that general officer dying on their hill uh, saying, I'm resigning, I am retiring, I can't stand by this decision? If you are so adamant and you are convinced that the course of of action that we're about to take will dramatically fail, which I'm sure we're going to hear about, just like we talked about the last time with General Milley's letter uh, when, you know, I think Trump went to uh, do the church thing and then fearing that there was going to be some sort of a coup on the 6th um, and his planned response. It's like, why don't we have that same information? If you were so willing to prevent that from happening, why aren't you as concerned with, with, with withdrawing and creating like another Iraq uh, Al-Qaeda vacuum, um, you know, like we did a couple years ago? I mean, like, where, where is that leadership because I don't see it from anyone right now. It's going to be hindsight. It's going to be, I was prepared to talk to the president. I, I wrote a strongly let, you know worded letter. It's like, 
Where's the action? It's just, uh, I think, Geo is trying to preserve maybe the, their legacy and get on and get to the next star, like we talked about in the past. Yeah, or, or be invited onto Fox News or CNN to, or just to get weigh invited, in. Yeah, invited onto Raytheon's board of directors, you know. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, we haven't heard from uh, General Mattis. At least I haven't seen him on any one of the the talk shows, um, you know, during the evening news hour. I'd be interested to see what, what he has to say about it since he was, I think, a more vocal proponent of President Trump uh, during his tenure. But I don't know. I think Afghanistan is just an awful example of poor intelligence, but really bad policy. There's, if the buck stops with you, you can't point fingers at anyone else. You can't say, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to point fingers, but then go on to say, well, it's the Afghan security forces that failed. It's their weak leadership in the palace that fled. It was the prior administration and the arbitrary deadline that they set with the Taliban. And uh, yeah, my generals for not giving me the, the right information. If the buck stops with you, you don't make excuses. You just accept that something failed. You'll do better, move on. But you, you still have to come out and take public responsibility without trying to shift the blame. It just doesn't, it doesn't line up. It, it, it seems like one of those leadership 101 failures. You know, you're responsible for all the things that your platoon does or fails to do. When things go right, it's because of the individuals that are in your platoon. When things go wrong, it's on you. And you, you do not pass the blame or pass that blame torch to anyone else, you know, especially during the most chaotic moments in that in that period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think across the board, it's just like a failure across the board of everybody involved in you know, it's a shame, I think, because, you know, you think about the people in Afghanistan that have are now, you know, essentially being going back like 30 years in the Taliban resurgence and then people trying to get out. All the people that um, were working with us, interpreters and what have you, working with us now being faced with, you know, dead, you know death threats and being hunted down and murdered by the Taliban. It just creates a poor... But I think that's like kind of the, um, kind of the normal mode of operations as far as American uh, military operations, as far as like uh, local nationals. We talk about the Kurds, like in Iraq, and we like kind of just love the Kurds. <laughs> it's like this is kind yeah. of to be expected that you know just creates a uh, sentiment in the rest of the world that American military can be trusted to uphold and to you know take care of those that work with them. I think that is one of the, the saddest parts of all of this is we no longer seem to have the moral credibility that the greatest generation established at the end of world war two. You go to Korea, it kind of eroded. We didn't completely outright win that it was a stalemate. We go to Vietnam and all of a sudden not only are we, we, we bombing Vietnam, but we're in Cambodia, we're in Laos. We rolled out of there, leaving millions of individuals in southern Vietnam, tens of thousands of actual hardened fighters that were fighting, um, and you know they were completely 
uh, eradicated, I, I think is, is too strong a word, but you know, the North Vietnamese came in and, and absolutely cleaned house and, um, you know, butchered the, the individuals that were fighting. Uh, whereas here we just kind of see a total collapse of the government. It's like, okay, South Vietnam, you know, we lost Vietnam when the North Vietnamese came down, but here it's like what government was defeated. They just, it, 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 it was dismantled from within. Um, one of the things that came out early too was this news report that President Ghani had fled the country with cars full of oh, cash yeah. and helicopters. And at first when I saw that, my first reaction was, that doesn't seem likely. It's plausible, like very a very small percentage of, of me gave it a chance. But then you look at the reporting. It came from Russia. And then you look at everything going on in China and the South Sea, like this is such a colossal clusterfuck for us as a country. But then now we have these foreign intelligence operations that are trying to sow even more dissent in in our understanding of the situation. And Reuters is reporting it. And so for two or three days, and I think what probably led to uh, President Biden saying, look at, you know, President Ghani leaving was probably this report that wasn't substantiated. And then it comes out a couple days later, President Ghani saying, I didn't leave with anything but the shirt on my back. If any of the Afghan presidents were to have gotten away with millions of dollars, I would have thought, you know, Hamid Karzai first, mm-hmm. not not President Ghani. Abdullah Abdullah, I would have thought he would have been stacked with cash for how much he, you know, entangled himself in the government of Afghanistan, but not President Ghani. That's one of those situations that right when the chaos was happening, all of a sudden, you know, red flag Russia releases a report, but then all the news cycles jumped on it and immediately it was a Afghanistan failed because of, you know, Afghan senior leaders trying to, again, shift the blame. But, you know, we just don't know all the information on the ground yet. That was like one of those things that you just see it happening live and you have to take a step back and go, okay, it's bad right now, but I don't know if I can believe everything that's coming out. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting and a good point to bring up kind of russia and china's involvement in afghanistan um before the u.s pulled out you saw that the chinese envoy like met with the taliban leadership a couple days beforehand so as far as like all the consulates like the the taliban promised that the russian and chinese uh, consulate they wouldn't like mess with them at all so clearly you know that us leaving is not only leaving a power vacuum as far as uh you know fundamentals fundamentalist islamic groups like the taliban but also leaving a, a huge power vacuum as far as other nations moving in and kind of assuming the reins of Afghanistan. You know, China's been in, in Afghanistan for years now doing mining. They have, like, their own version of, like, PMCs providing security for mining and natural resources. Afghanistan sits on, like, you know, a trillion dollars, or trillion dollars worth of natural resources that have been relatively untapped. It's like 3.2. Yeah, something insane amount of natural resources that have been relatively untapped and that we haven't really been able to encourage, you know, Afghanistan, Afghan and like uh, mining and development. But, you know, China is more than happy to get involved in uh, further, you know, um, differentiate and uh, take advantage of this power vacuum to, you know, increase China's influence, especially in the Middle East. What... I dislike going all the way back to when we started this. We're not doing 
nation building, but we're we're going to call it nation building. It's really nation building. China goes into Pakistan and leases out a bunch of property and forms these huge contracts for the new Silk Road. And not once does it say, listen, we don't want to do business with Pakistan because their government uh, or how they treat different citizens within their country, and they just get the job done. I guarantee that the Chinese government's going into Afghanistan and saying the same thing to the Taliban. I'm sure they totally disagree with their treatment of women or, you know, religious minorities within the country. But China's going, I don't care what government you set up. I feel that America went in there, said, okay, we're going to kick the shit out of Al Qaeda. But afterwards, we have to set up a Western style, a a Western influenced government instead of just saying, okay, if the people of Afghanistan want a certain type of government, we can work with them. It's this forced, you have to accept how we do it in the United States, how Europeans do it, because if you don't, then you're doomed for failure. I guarantee the Chinese government's not going to have any problem in Afghanistan after we leave, just like they didn't have a problem in Pakistan. Clearly, like huge different kinds of, of groups, both from you know a historical background, but then religious backgrounds. But they're just going to get the job done. And I feel if we had just taken our foot off of the, you have to, you know, take our Western ways, Afghanistan probably would have turned out much different. But we, again, it's this moral superiority complex that America has that, you know, you have to do the things um, that, you know, European and, and, and Western civilizations have done. Yeah, it's like trying to impose, you know, our culture upon a you know millennia old culture of, you know, fundamentalist Islamic principles and things like that. Like, I don't think that, you know, 20 years of American involvement is going to drastically change the culture enough to, you know, make them be like, oh, we should be a democracy now. Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming here. We had no idea that this form of uh, government existed. Oh, well, actually... We kind of saw it with, you know, the, the British rule and how they did it. We got a different taste of Western civilizations with the USSR, uh, even with American support. We're just not fans. We don't want it. I don't like eating cauliflower. I don't know how many times I have to tell you that, Mom and Dad, I'm not going to eat it when it's on the table. Mm-hmm. We just seem to be completely tone deaf to picking up what other countries are putting down as you know, what they want to do in their own country. But no, I do think that to kind of bring it uh, back, I do think it um, on a global, maybe like um, political, like a global scale, probably was good for us to get Afghanistan in order to reconsolidate, reorganize, and then plan for the next fight. As we can see in like with uh, China and Taiwan, China now increasing the presence in the South China Sea, Potentially, and then even then using this as a propagandist tool in Taiwan of, you know, the American military pulling out and then uh, not being able to fill the promises to the Afghan people, playing that similar situation to the Taiwanese. Um, so, you know, there's something to be said about um, kind of reorganizing and preparing for the next fight instead of, you know, kind of ripping the bandaid off Afghanistan and the Middle East moving on. Right. And. We should have been out of Afghanistan. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We could have left a small force. I don't know what that number would have looked like, but 
if all it would have taken for the Afghan government to feel confident and for its soldiers that were under-equipped by their own country, underpaid or not paid at all to stay at their fighting positions would have been one company of rangers over there that conducted one raid a month or one ODA team that had the capability to project some sort of air superiority in support for the next six to 12 months, that would not have amounted to we're still in Afghanistan fighting. That would have been something that you see in Africa, something that we see in in Syria, the small footprint that no longer rises to the, this is part of the forever war. It would have been like a clear and, and true cut from the country, but we're maintaining a force here. And for the individuals out there that would say, oh, well, we've made an agreement with the Taliban. One, I'd quote from uh, Tropic Thunder and Tom Cruise, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Where did that, where did that go? You're going you're gonna to hold your promise to the Taliban. If anything, you should have said, hey, guys, we're not leaving by August 31st. We're not leaving by May 1st. I don't care what the prior administration said. I'm going to pull the majority of my forces out. But just understand, if you take this to mean that I can't have my word trusted by your, you know, quote unquote government, and you're going to resume attacks on us, be prepared. I'm going to fly day and night And I'm going to continue to do the kind of of strafing runs and bombing operations that crippled you for decades and forced you to go to Pakistan and and wait out the winters. If they had said that, then I'm sure the Taliban would have probably said, oh, they called our bluff. We can't do anything. But now where's our credibility on the world stage? You brought up Taiwan and the South China Sea. What are they supposed to truly think? I look at the United States military and I question who can I trust if not our commander in chief that has now come out and said, oh, no, you know, he's made repeated comments in the back about the morality of staying and continuing and finishing a fight or supporting the people that, you know, were, were in most desperate need of our help. I don't see Taiwan as being secure. That, that looks to me like a really frail position because now we're reorganizing, which we should do to prepare for a near peer threat. I don't think we're ready for that when we have individuals that, that can't even be honest now at the GO level with the Secretary of Defense that can't be honest with the president telling him what actually is going to happen. I mean, what kind of intelligence are we relying on if we can't trust the, the, the minimal intelligence coming out of Afghanistan to say that we're not going to completely drop the ball on this once we leave? I, I, I don't know what we're supposed to trust. And, and when we make that decision and that decision is left to President Biden, who now has a huge question looming above him about his competency, it's scary. It really is scary to see our our world footing completely questioned. Yeah, I'll say like, uh, no, especially like with Russia and China, how, you know, this is maybe a, uh, like a sign of the future shift in the global powers. Um, But um yeah it's very kind of disheartening on the global stage to see how um these other nations that that we consider our you know our adversaries will potentially take advantage of our position now and then maybe reorganize and push and try and take advantage of this power vacuum on the global scale absolutely i just hope we go back to speak softly carry a big stick Mm -hmm. return to isolationism build up our force. We don't have to spend... I, I would like to see us 
go one decade without being in a foreign country in a large scale combat operation. We couldn't do it in the 50s, couldn't do it in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 10s, the 20s. Maybe the rest of the decade we can just take a day off, regroup and and really kind of uh, trim the fat in our military ranks uh, from both a literal and a figurative you know, position. Make our soldiers the most well-equipped, lethal fighting force out there um, and, and not really bloated with the, the, the byproduct of a military industrial complex that's just vying to get somewhere. Get, them, get the war hawks out of Congress. Create term limits so that these individuals don't have an incentive 10 years from now to push the same agenda for their own political purposes because they'll be gone. You know, that's the kind of reform that we need to do over you know the next eight to nine years, in my opinion, because I'm not running for Congress. You also, um, even with like Trump, you know, I didn't agree with a lot of Trump's policies on things, but you know, the whole let's get out of the Middle East and do America first thing, you know, definitely you know carries some merit in my mind. Yeah, I I wonder how he would have responded this responded to this. For instance, after the first town or the first district fell to the Taliban, would he have just done, you know, a Soleimani 2.0 and just strike, just drone strike, you know, out of the heavens, just reminded the Taliban, do not mess with our allies. Um, Do not, do not prevent a smooth transition of power. Once we are completely out of the country, do whatever you want. But while we have boots on the ground in Afghanistan, you attack our allies, you're attacking us. So don't mess with us. Or as soon as these individuals, because according to you know the agreement, we have until August 31st for the whole withdrawal and stuff. Implicitly, that would seem to indicate that any operation until August 31st is on the table. So these senior leaders that have left Doha that are now in Kabul, they seem completely open and, and in the clear for a strike or a raid. Do something. Remind them that they are not safe while we have boots on the ground. Another one, why aren't we leaving the compound to go grab Americans? Right now, as of this morning on the 22nd, the individuals are being told to shelter in place, those American citizens in the city. The French and the British are leaving to go pick up their people. Why aren't we doing the same? Like, wh- when did we all of a sudden shrink to 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 listening and just hoping that the Taliban is going to keep their word? That that's not America. That's not the kind of leadership. That's not the kind of we don't take any shit nation that we've always propped ourselves up to be. You mess with our friend, you mess with us. I mean, that was the whole reason why people wanted the United States involved in their you know internal country disputes was whoever allied with America. It's probably going to come out on top. But now, after all of this, the Brits don't trust us. The French surely, you know, don't. The Germans are, you know, whatever, they're German. But our our Western allies definitely have to question our resolve to finish a fight. Yeah, I agree. You know, very disheartening as far as the global political scale and uh, kind of the chestnut checkers at, um, you know, second, third order implications of our actions in Afghanistan. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much more in Afghanistan. I mean, it's like, I think we've probably 
you know, been beating a dead horse because it's been on the news. Everyone has their opinions. These are definitely, you know, just some of ours. I just feel badly that there are individuals in Afghanistan that were willing to fight, that are able to fight, that can't fight, whether they've been stripped of their weapons or whether they've been turned on by their peers or they have a lack of support from those that were leading them and commanding them. That's got to be a a scary feeling when you're alone, you have no way to communicate with others to, to create a resistance force like we're seeing in, you know, like three or four districts now, because all of this is just kind of kind of turn into a, a really bloody civil war and all the promises that we were relying on and what a lot of news networks were saying, has the Taliban changed? Is this Taliban 2.0? No, wait until you push some pressure on these Taliban leaders and it's going to go back to a very swift uh, and deadly response to any kind of insurrection or any kind of, you know, seditious act that, you know, we're going to see the, the Afghan people suffer for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let alone those those resistance fighters. Yeah. Uh, what should we shift topics to now? You want to talk about COVID? Uh, oh, yeah. COVID, man. What? You're the doctor. What the fuck is going on with COVID? I think we're just getting into, I guess, a resurgence of COVID again. <laughs> okay, so we both know a lot of individuals that constantly push what I would consider fringe theory political points that I don't know if they're supported by uh, the medical community. And I'll, I'll run some generally by you that if you get the vaccine, you are somehow more likely to die if you get COVID. That's uh, pretty objectively false. Uh, and this is coming from like in the hospital too. All the people that are hospitalized with COVID right now are people that are unvaccinated. Um, typically people who are vaccinated uh, do better with COVID if they get infected with COVID. Um, and people that are unvaccinated typically do much worse. Okay. And if you are vaccinated, you can still get COVID correct, but it's probably going to be much more mild. Yeah, that seems to be the general trend is that um, you can still get COVID, but it's much milder version of it uh, where people are just going getting diagnosed in the emergency department and then going home and then being okay at home. And then what does it take to really hospitalize someone? Because like we saw in the last year, the last 18 months, we have millions of cases of COVID and they keep saying that, you know, we have all these hospitalizations. What does it actually take to be hospitalized if you have COVID? So people know the kind of severity that, you know, individuals are dealing with um, when, when we see these numbers. Yeah, generally speaking, it's just uh, if you're not able to maintain your oxygenation levels without supplemental oxygen in the form of like some high pressurized oxygen or intubation, um, that's generally speaking what it takes to be hospitalized. Like most people, you know, that are like young, uh, typically are going to have like pretty mild symptoms like a cough and like some shortness of breath, but nothing. The fact that you know you need to be on oxygen in order to in order to to to, to live. And then. Children are, from reports, being hospitalized at a higher rate than they were with the, what do they call it? The what COVID? The, uh, what was the, the other COVID's name? Not, not the Delta, but the... Lambda or the Ligma? Yeah, whatever, whatever the original, <laughs> the original uh, COVID strain was. Um, 
is is that so significantly higher or is there a certain threshold that it has to pass to to say something is significantly higher like you know 3% of children are hospitalized compared to now 6 do do you know what those statistics would look like actually I'm not really familiar with all the the pediatric stuff or the kids covid to be honest okay if you have the vaccine or say you've you've gotten both shots or the single shot, whatever you're fully vaccinated uh, according to, you know to the to the CDC. If you still have underlying comorbidities, uh, will that potential of a of a breakthrough, um, you know, viral load, will that still have the same kind of effect on you, or are you going to be, you know, in a better position vaccinated? I think you're going to be in a much better position vaccinated. Um, I know, like I think some of the data is starting to say that. Uh, your immunity or your antibody levels start to drop after a little bit. So now the CDC is recommending like booster shots. Um, so you know it's, it, but you as a whole probably do better for, with COVID if you already have the vaccination. Okay, well I'm glad you brought up the uh, the the effectiveness of the vaccine over time. Is it normal that with your annual flu vaccine that the effectiveness will will go down over the course of the year to the next uh, flu shot, or for that that underlying flu that we're protecting against. Uh, I mean, the flu shot cha- it's, it's a little bit different in terms of vaccination mechanisms. Uh, so, like the flu shot, they try and predict which strain is going to be you know the most virulent of the year um, based on last year's data. So sometimes the flu shot isn't very effective at preventing the flu, depending on like which one comes into, which strain becomes more, you know, virulent and infects more people. Uh, but with COVID, you know, have to, you'd have to imagine that it's the same virus. Uh, so it should still, the vaccinations should still be, um, pretty effective across the board, but then you get into the, you know, the, um, debate about like the virus mutating as well for COVID and especially if you have vaccinations the virus will figure out a way to like you know become infectious again um but this is like way outside my realm of expertise as far as uh, virology and epidemiology and immunology sure but you know it, it it does help to have someone that you know you has a basic understanding of you know vaccinations and you know general health you know I'm not um a soccer mom and you know, listening or, or waiting on a Facebook page to, you know, tell me my news. With the the vaccinations uh, in particular, there's people saying there are, you know, underlying conditions that people are now being dosed with, whether it's the, the enlarged heart. Um, typically, in, in what you learned at school, uh, what percentage of people, you know, typically will have some sort of adverse reaction Um you know, for a vaccine to still be on the shelf, is is there a, a threshold that you know of? Oh, I'm sure it's like everything. There's always like you know, you know, like really weird reactions to vaccines. It's probably like in the order of like one in a million or something along those in that magnitude. So, you know, the fact that there are vaccine reactions is not surprising. It's kind of a shame because you know, but at the same time though, you're doing that risk benefit analysis of. Well, not you are, but like uh, the FDA and medical, the medical community is doing their risk benefit analysis where, you know, there is a one in a million chance of you getting this weird like cardiomyopathy or like this weird like, you know, like blood clot. Um, 
but then if you balance that with the fact that you know you potentially die from covid you know that's pretty pretty real uh cosmetic analysis that people you can play for yourself as well they're saying that younger individuals are at a higher risk of being killed or hospitalized with the new new delta strain is that something that you've seen or why might that be that you know younger healthier quote-unquote individuals uh are at a higher risk now uh i'm not quite sure but i think it it might be something to do with the fact that uh if you're not vaccinated i think that plays a role so you know i think more younger people aren't as vaccinated or don't have high vaccination rates um but then there are definitely people in the hospital that are like in the 40s and 50s who are pretty sick with covid um that were not vaccinated so i wonder if that is the calculus that plays into that statement i mean here's here's my question i see like these are all my questions. So another question, if you are of the belief that you've had your time to get vaccinated, if you've not gotten vaccinated by now, because so many more states are starting to say we should have mask mandates, it's the huge debate going on in schools in Florida and Texas. In New York City, we've got the vaccine passport, but then my school in particular is mandating masks. Is there an argument to say, if you haven't gotten the vaccination by now, that's your choice. Don't subject the rest of us to having to live, you know, in a mask because it's so horrendous or you reap what you sow. If you haven't gotten the vaccination by now and you catch it and you get sick, that's on you. Um, is there a, a counter argument to that? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, the biggest thing as far as mask wearing isn't necessarily to prevent catching COVID. It's more so to prevent spreading COVID. So you could argue the people that are unvaccinated, you know, could be potential asymptomatic spreaders or people that unknowingly are spreading it in their community. So that's when um, I think it becomes more important to wear a mask. Um, it's not necessarily to protect yourself, but to protect other people. Right. But if we think of protecting other people and if those that have been vaccinated are only going to experience mild flu symptoms from catching the Delta strain, aren't we now just protecting the people that chose not to get the vaccination? Uh, I mean, I guess you could work, figure that way, but at the same time, you also can figure that the more that the Delta variant infects other people, there's more of a chance for it to mutate and then to become more virulent, especially if you're exposing the uh, Delta variant to people that are vaccinated already. Um, it creates, you know, can create some mutations that can then be caused, like, you know, a super COVID. Okay, so we're the, those that are vaccinated that are wearing masks are doing this not so much then to protect others, but to protect others from the potential of a mutated strain that pr- may be able to come back and kick the shit out of you know any vaccine that we've got in our body. Yeah, that's kind of potentially the, the you know the biggest thing. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. One of the things I just liked hearing was the argument that. We're wearing masks now because of those that aren't vaccine. Uh, what's the word? You must be so high to ride this ride. Uh, they can't get the vaccine yet. Uh, there's a word. I can't think of it. If you can think of the word, shoot it to me. But um, how many people out there are immunocompromised? Because that was something that. I think politicians have stated, celebrities have come out and stated, 
because it, I feel like that's such a bad excuse to why 99% or whatever, you know, have to wear a mask. How would you have phrased a larger argument to convince people to put a mask on, I should say? Yeah, let's say, well, as far as immunocompromised go, there's states of relative immunocompromisation. So people with diabetes are considered relatively immunocompromised. We consider that in surgery as well. Like anybody with diabetes or like on, you know, diabetes medication is considered to be relatively immunocompromised. Then you have people that are like, so that's probably the most common thing. You could argue that being, um, have obesity is probably a state of immunocompromisation too as well. Um, but then like, as far as like strict immunosuppression, you have people with like, um, uh, like IBD or like Crohn's disease, also ulcerative colitis, they're taking like biomodulators, which is probably like maybe 1% of the population is like true immunocompromised as far as like, um, having immune deficiencies or being on medications to suppress, you know, autoimmune, autoimmune conditions, um, so I don't really find that immuno, immunocompromised, you know, argument isn't in my mind is super valid because true immunocompromisation is pretty rare as far as our total population. But there is definitely a pretty high relative immunocompromisations where people that have like diabetes definitely do worse with uh, COVID. Yeah, well, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, he lived in a bubble. Oh, Don't bubble boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah bubble yeah. boy. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but I, that's interesting. With I didn't know that about uh, diabetes, the the obesity thing, but that goes back to a comorbidity and yeah. that the fact that the United States has not and does not recognize that you are no longer obese, you have obesity, but having obesity is a bad thing. It's one of those we are liberalized in the sense that you can't acknowledge when someone is overweight that it may be their responsibility not to be overweight. So to say that you are immunocompromised because you have diabetes or type 2 diabetes, that's one that's that's like obese-related, right? Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to that argument that we've made podcasts ago that you know individuals that are overweight have to take responsibility for the impact that they have on the healthcare system. Um, so that, but that's interesting. I did not know that diabetes was a, uh, you know, had some effects on your ability to, uh, to fight off disease. Oh yeah, for sure. So like, uh, you know, high blood sugars impair your body's uh, innate immune system and ability to respond with like uh, your own immune cells have impaired response, and then you know bacteria and other infections love sugar. You imagine like sugar water breeding. You know, bacteria, same thing, same concept. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what else out there have you seen or are they talking about at the hospital that you can talk about uh, would be, you know, important for our listeners, I think, who are all generally the, the same kind of population in the military, um, you know, to help them with covid uh, going through it or or trying to prevent uh, passing it. Yeah, just like being physically fit, you know, working out, taking some vitamin D, make sure you get vitamin D supplementation in, vitamin C, doing your fish oil, all like the stuff that you should be doing, getting good sleep, getting good exercise, eating right, not being a fat slob. Those are all like, you know, important things to prevent and do better with COVID. What about the regular flu? Can... Have you seen any cases of other flus outside of COVID in the hospital? Not really. Typically, most people with flu don't really get vaccinated or don't really, you know, get hospitalized with the flu for the most part. Um, unless it's like some some weird, like, 
you know, influenza that is super deadly, but that's very rare. Are we going to see like a King Kong Godzilla pairing teaming up against, you know, some some mechanized strain here? Is is COVID going to tag team in the ring with the, the seasonal flu in the next three months? You know, I don't think so. You remember like last year they were saying like, oh, there's no flu in the hospital. There's no, like no flu because um, they're saying that because people are like more aware of their surroundings, aren't coughing everywhere. People are sicker, like self-quarantining. You know, that, that reduces kind of the spread of the flu as well. But I don't know. Who knows? I don't know like what the data shows. Do you have a personalized mask that you wear in the hospital? No, I typically wear the same mask for until it gets kind of gross and grimy then I get a new mask it's kind of not the right answer (laughs) that makes sense I've thought about getting a personalized mask because I have to wear one in school but I'm just going to keep wearing the ones that are eventually going to find their way to the water uh, you know that some dolphin is going to choke on or it's going to clog some blowhole somewhere and we're just going to contribute to the demise of the the ecosystem there yeah, you have to imagine, like, uh, especially here, like, having, you know, all these masks floating around. I'm sure you see in, in the cities masks that's blowing in the wind everywhere. It's kind of gross. Disgusting. That's very disgusting. I just dislike masks purely from the standpoint that for years I have worked on sculpting this face so that when it goes out in public, it gets stared at. People go, that is a beautiful man. When I wear a mask, they just see a triangle face. They don't see what's under the nose that really brings in the face. So I don't want to wear a mask just because I finally hit that point in my life, honestly, a decade ago of just being a really good-looking person. And I only have so many years left of that. Like once I hit 50, 55, I'll probably be slightly less attractive. But I don't want to gamble away these years. Mm-hmm. That, that's unfair to me. Well, I you know I only shave like once a week now because I have the mask on. Definitely saves on the car shaving. <laughs> well, I bet you could also get away with looking like a, a civilian in in the hospital as well. Because don't you do you all have like civilian contractors that'll sometimes like moonlight uh, in the army hospitals? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, so you could easily with your tattoos. That'd be a. That'd be an easy fix. I'm thinking of making a customized mask that says, like, veteran, ask my opinion, or something like that. I just want people to know. You just go to um, Afghanistan, like the, uh, you know, the OEF vet. On, yeah, ice uh, hat. Yeah, the I, yeah, the hats just put it <laughs> on the mask. That's what we should do. Hey, if, if you're listening to this, okay, I, I am verbally going to enter into... Uh, our our product trademark with the USPTO, so you can't go and copy this. Okay, we're creating masks that say "I served." That'll be perfect. Oh my god, those are going to sell like hotcakes and in the PXs across the country. And the BXs, well, not so much on the BXs. Mm-hmm. That's for seals. And let's face it, they probably already have face masks that say "I'm a seal." How do you? I think we talked about this before, but like the um, mandatory vaccinations. Do you think that's going to be a thing or? I think it is. My, my buddy who's in command right now is telling me they've got, I think, eight or 12 chapters lined up. And what's scary 
in that situation because they haven't received guidance yet is I don't know what those chapters are going to look like. Are they going to be failure to follow a lawful order, Mm -hmm. dishonorable discharge, so now you no longer get any benefits? Or other than honorable so that you might get your GI Bill? I don't – how are you going to take care of soldiers that have essentially up until this point done everything correctly and everything that you asked but for getting this vaccine? But it also goes back to the, do we mandate other seasonal flus in the army? What other shots are you required to get? We do get those. And we do get those. <laughs> right, totally. I've Yeah, I got my flu shot. Uh, but what shots are you required to get? I just don't understand. This is a really politicized, messaged vaccine or no vaccine nation now. No one ever questioned the smallpox or the anthrax shot that you got prior to going to Iraq, Afghanistan. Did you honestly think you were going to get either of those in Afghanistan? Hell no. So that same rationale, when you could probably definitely get this COVID flu, why wouldn't you get the the vaccine? It just that that makes no sense for me when I compare the two. I've gotten vaccinated. You got vaccinated. My third eye is underneath my hairline, so nobody sees, and I can tuck my tail in down the left side of my trousers, so people, no one's going to know that you have, you know, some sort of adverse reaction. Yeah, I just think it's uh, kind of ironic, well, I just think it's kind of, it's kind of idiotic to, like, say that, you know, you can't be mandated to take this vaccine, like, this vaccine, but, you know, you get all sorts, we've talked about this before, but, like, you get all sorts of vaccinations and shots, like, in the military, whether you like it or not, you know, being in the military does not mean you're like a free to do whatever you want type of thing. Like you, you know, are obligated to follow, you know, the orders, <laughs> the lawful orders, whether or not you think it's in lawful a, or not. Like, what do you, what do you, like, it's a policy. I mean, in a different, in a different sense here, right? D-Day. Can you imagine if we had these anti-vaxxers apply that same rhetoric on D-Day? Soldiers going ah, I just don't want to be on this landing craft. Uh, do we really have to go to Normandy? Like, do I need to storm the beaches? Can you imagine if soldiers were saying, well, I don't know what the adverse side effect's going to be. Hey, dum-dum, you were just told to go on a patrol, you know, in Kandahar on foot. Uh, what did you think was possibly going to happen when you stepped out the danger that you were voluntarily, you know, walking towards? It, it, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Little Alanis set there, no? I don't know. Uh, it's like rain on your wedding day. Um, it It's just, it baffles me because it, it's like you said, you accept all these other vaccinations you've received. You've accepted being told to go do dangerous shit for the military, jump out of planes, assault in onto the X and breach a compound, and you've not voiced an opinion or said, chapter me out, I'm not doing this. But for this, a flu vaccine, that's the hill that you're going to die on? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think it, it actually is like a legitimate like security threat too because you know if one person in your company gets COVID and spreads it in your company, feasibly you could you know wipe, like decimate an entire company or, or battalion. Right, and the and the chances that you're going to be hospitalized in the military as a fit fighting individual mm. is uh, average fit, Joe okay, as as a fighting as a fighting individual. Average Joe, let's talk about average Joe, who like you know smokes a pack of cigarettes a day and drinks four monsters. Like, 
Yeah, and, and gets their lunch from the PX. Okay, so minus the maintenance battalion uh, or your standard armor company. I know we rip on armor so much. We get hit up a lot. Like, why do you hate the armor? I don't hate the armor. Uh, I just hate your diet. Um, I think, though, for like a, a fit light infantry brigade, you're not really going to have anything. Or you're just going to spread a, a virus that, again, we've talked about. It's the mutation that we're worried about. But here is, I think, something that I'd ask. How often do we see viruses mutate? Because at this point, an argument could be made, when are we ever going to like leave this bubble of living in a world without masks if we're constantly worried about the next strain evolving? I mean, is COVID, are we going to see like, you know, this is the COVID Delta Delta two years from now and three years from now, we're going to be on, you know, COVID Delta raised to, raised to the fifth power. I think, is that something that's normal? Yeah, I think it's going to be something like the flu um, where we get like vaccination every year because, you know, the flu mutates every year, different strains come out every year. So it's not, you know, un, it's not like, you know, unlikely to, th- or to imagine that would happen to COVID where you get back, like it'll mutate and we'll get new, you know, COVID strains every year. And this just might be the new norm. Who knows? I hope not, man. I'm too pretty. I'm too pretty to deal with this every season. It's silly, though, when I see people driving in their car and they're not for Uber or Lyft with their windows rolled up in their own car with a mask on. That that's like a level that just goes, oh, my God, like you've you've you're the same person that if you were on the different side of the political spectrum would be screaming at a cashier person at Walmart uh, claiming that, you know, it's your First Amendment right. And, you know, then dumping the 60 bags of Oreos into your your cart and walking out challenging the police officer yeah it's uh i just hate how it's become so political that the COVID vaccination and everything COVID's become so political so politicized um you know i empathize and see both sides as far as you know you have you should have the freedom to decide for yourself like what you can and can't do i get that but at the same time though you can't just because you don't want to you don't want to do something you shouldn't be an asshole and then like subject everybody else you know you should be able to live you know sure but you can always extend that that argument too for the the selfishness that we've we've talked about before that is inherent in our population now to okay we're not going to subject somebody to adverse side effects of this flu but i'm going to subject their taxpayer dollars to pay for a person that is morbidly obese's multiple surgeries, healthcare costs associated with their blood pressure, uh, diabetes, you know, potential hospitalization. I, it's hard just because you can always make these these straw man arguments, um, and it's never ending. But it's like if we just focus on this issue is the flu defeating the flu. Like maybe the next issue we can talk about is this. But you know, the whole apples to oranges or you know, Granny Smith apples to another Macintosh apples um, is probably less appropriate. Yes, yes, yes. Um, By the way, Team USA got a lot of gold medals. I like that. Uh, I was going to go to the Suicide Squad. That's what I was about to transition to. Oh, yeah. Okay. Olympics, Olympics I'm done with done. you. We got gold medals out the wazoo. Uh, so, like, round of applause for for us the rest of the world catch up it's about competition if 
you read an article that said it's not about competition, then you shouldn't be watching the Olympics. Suicide Squad was oh so good, Spoilers. so good. Spoilers. Spoilers ahead. Yeah. Uh, by far, Ninaru is that how you pronounced it? This uh, slice. Yeah, the Shark Man. I don't know. He was the best character. Hand. Oh, new dumb friends. New dumb friends. That's how I talk on a normal basis, but <laughs> I'm glad to see it I now in the film. I read book. I read <laughs> Mustache. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is very like uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and like Groot kind of style, but, you know, James, I mean, obviously it's going to be like Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn, but, you know, I enjoyed it. It's pretty, pretty funny movie. There were a ton of individuals from Guardians of the Galaxy in that movie. Um, who's the the empathath? Amp- what what what's the? Uh, oh yeah. Who's yeah yeah yeah? She was like a, a an uncredited dancer in the bar scene. Um, oh. the uh, Yondu was yeah. <laughs> the yeah, dude yeah. that kills a bird and then you know <laughs> can't deal with the violence on the beach. Yeah, yeah. I. That movie was just fun. It was fun. That John Cena was phenomenal as as Peacemaker. Idris Elba was phenomenal as a better Will Smith Deadshot. Um, the the comedy, the the like, we didn't need these dumb backstories. Uh, I thought again, it was a really well done. It like it saved for me the Suicide Squad. The first Suicide Squad sucked. Terrible. This Suicide Squad was like, like I. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna remember that there was a first with, like, what was it, James Leto? Who's Jared who's Lido. the dude that, yeah, played the worst Joker in the history of Jokers? Yeah, Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah, it. great movie though. The whole like, uh, um, Idris Elba and John Zeno dynamic was hilarious. Yeah, when they went through the rebel camp scene, and then afterwards you find out that those were freedom fighters they were just murdering. Yeah. Like some dark humor, but like, whoops. Like, it worked really well. Or the the guy the, that shoots polka dots, they go, what does he shoot polka dots? Oh, no, he, re- he really does shoot polka dots. Like, that was his, that was his thing. Good. Pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, phenomenal. I I've watched it twice. You watched it twice. Um, yeah, because I've got the the HBO Max mm-hmm. thing, and I'm like, I'm gonna use this because just like uh, Godzilla and Kong, that after 30 days or something went away right. for another month. So I know I'm gonna want to watch it in a month from now if I just get it in enough times before mm-hmm. that 30 day window's over. Right. It will satisfy my desire to watch it for at least a month. Gotcha. Yeah. Godzilla vs. Kong is back on HBO Max now. I don't know if you noticed Yes, that. it is. That's a good movie. The The graphics are... It's like the first monster movie where you see fighting in broad daylight. Where it's not the Pacific Rim. Everything's oh, yeah. at night. It has to be highlighted by these neon colors in order for the contrast to stand out enough to know that there's a fight going on. I feel like tech has come a long way with Godzilla King Kong. That was a really, really cool movie. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Although, I mean, somewhat, you know, the movie purists out there are going to hate it, but it was uh, very, hate, very entertaining. They hate all movies. I Every single time I watch a movie review, there's not one that they come out with and say, this was a good movie. Um, I'm looking forward to the new James Bond 
which is coming out, uh, I think, shortly with Remy Malik. Um, yeah, he plays like one of the bad guys with Christoph Waltz. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that that looks like it'll be a good movie. I still haven't seen Black Widow. Uh, I honestly don't think I'm ever going to see it. I'm probably not. Um, I want to see the new Dune. I can't wait for Dune to come out. Oh, I gotta read, Dune looks. I gotta reread the so, book again. So good, yeah. I'll definitely reread the book. I hope they don't change up the the story too too much. Mm-hmm. The was it Alexander Villeneuve? Villeneuve? Uh, I don't know his Dennis last Villeneuve. name. He, I mean, the yeah, director. The, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, the remake. Uh, yeah, he did Arrival, but then he did the remake Blade of Runner. Blade Runner, which I thought was was really visually stunning mm-hmm. and had a lot of the same themes. So I'm going to watch the first Dune um, that actually has Sting in it, uh, the singer from The Police. Oh, you mean like the 1980s one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch that again uh, before I watch uh, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Um, Dave Chalamet. Chalamet. Uh, Dave Bautista, uh, Jason Momoa, um, not Zendaya. That that's yeah, from Guardians. It is Zendaya. That yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. I could. I was thinking Zendaya, and then I was like, oh, is that Xandar from from the first Guardians of the Galaxy? Zendaya. Where Ronan Ronan wants to destroy Xandar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No Zendaya. Yeah, so Zendaya. Zendaya. Okay, yeah. Uh, who else is? Oh, the. The dude that plays in the X Men, like Days of Future Past, that that like Egyptian pharaoh, like super god that gives Magneto the powers where they want to, like he can he can give people like heightened abilities beyond what they have. Uh, what are you talking about? He was in Ex Machina. He he plays um, I think the Duke, Timothy Chalamet's dad. In Dune. Isaac, Isaac something. something Oscar Isaac's. Isaac. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's. I'm now just going off the top of my head of who yeah. I've seen in that I commercial. I pulled the actual cast. Javier Bardem's in this. Also, Josh Brolin's also in it. Oh, maybe he's reprising his role as Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> I just came here to farm, little one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's see how this comes out October 22nd, so two months. Oh, I'll see that in IMAX for sure. Yeah, well, will movie theaters be open by then, though? I don't know, man. Who I'm knows? still worried about uh, my Iron Man in less than a month. Yeah. I don't know whether that... Kona just got... The, the World Championships out in Hawaii got uh, postponed another three months. They were supposed to happen in October, and I, I know the island is a little bit different mm-hmm. than, like, Cambridge, Maryland, but I just don't know. I'm also burned out with that shit. I want to be... Like, if it was next weekend, I'd be happy. I would just go do it. Just go do it now. I paid a shit ton of money to get a t-shirt to do it with a whole bunch of other dorks that have too much time on their hands to train i gotta i gotta see it through that's true true story um anything else you want to talk about anything else before we close it out yeah uh-uh. timothy chalamet let's see okay guys we'll talk we'll chat more about um scholarships next week we'll announce mm-hmm. them this week um so keep your eyes out yeah. yeah we had a ton of really great applicants this year it was a 
a pretty hard and, and bit of a lengthy decision process uh, for us because everyone that put in a packet put in a ton of effort um, to make their packet really stand out, but then also has you know a really incredible um, background and military experience. So to those that applied, congratulations. Uh, you are all like very standout individuals in, in the formations that you served in. Um, and for next year's Cronus Scholars, uh, it's never too far to, you know, think out when you should start putting your application together because we'll announce that probably next spring. Yeah, hopefully we'll have even more money if the trend keeps progressing the way it is. We'll have more money next yeah. year. Yeah, that'd be great. All righty then. With that, we will catch you guys next time. Have a good week. Uh, stay healthy. Don't be a fat slob. Wear a mask. Or don't. I don't care. It's up to you. It's your, it's your life. It's your choice. Freedom! All right, guys. Catch you guys later. Peace. Bye.